Once again, everybody, and welcome to episode 26, proper episode 26, of the Phillies Therapy Podcast, casually known as Phillies Therapy, further casually known as PT. I'm one of your two hosts. My name is Paul Boyer. Joining me, as always, the Athletic Philadelphia's Matt Gelb, fresh off his lock-in and sleepover at Citizens Bank Park on Sunday, where the Phillies and, and everybody who managed to stay in attendance lasted for... 12 hours, I guess. There's not, a, there, there's not a lot of couches on, in the ballpark. Uh, there is one, though, in the broadcaster's office on the press level. And uh, Scott Fransky joked that they would uh, have 20-minute sign-up sheets you know, for a rotating uh, nap uh, on the couch. I, I didn't get to the couch, though. Well, that, that seems like a shame. I was wondering how they would manage that if there's one couch. And how many of you on a given day? 25 yeah probably more than a little more than that maybe broadcasters and everything yeah it's a nice crew you got up there anyway the in this latest whiplash edition of this show uh as we go from week to week across the most extreme emotions and reactions we possibly can well i'll speak for myself there uh the phillies are riding high again they did the thing that we were talking about last week um and then some they went five and one on this homestand against bad teams probably could have gone six and oh but we're not going to dwell on that uh, they are 78 and 62 through 140 games, which is awesome. Well, it's, it's very good, but it's awesome for me. They're a game and a half up on San Diego, uh, sitting in the fifth overall spot, the second wildcard position. Milwaukee is lurking at three and a half back of the Phillies, two back of uh, the Padres. And the Phillies are still in good position. It, in reality, not a lot has changed from the last week or really even two weeks in terms of, you know, the Phillies position, I guess you could say that they're in fifth a little more comfortably now than they were uh, in six hanging around San Diego, San Diego starting to slip while Milwaukee's winning a few games either, or it's still the same three teams for the two spots. The giants are not mathematically eliminated, but probably will be in the next couple of weeks. And the Phillies are looking pretty good. They're getting guys back and healthy. Sir Anthony Dominguez came back and was throwing balls 101 miles an hour. Even if he looked a little command rusty, that's fine. Zach Eflin is about to be reactivated. That's great. Reliever Zach Eflin, I guess we should say, or however they're going to use him. Opener, bulk, reliever, something. I guess we'll see. Really, the reality is as soon as Zach Wheeler gets back, things are looking pretty good, right? And we can start thinking about... Uh, a little mathematics, a little magic number, capital M, capital N, how many games it'll take, combination of Phillies wins and right now Milwaukee losses to actually officially, mathematically, seriously clinch a playoff spot, which is then I think when the hex is lifted and we can all start talking about playoff stuff without being a jinx, if I have that right. Well, you take a step back to the first math I would do, Paul, is that the Phillies, again, are on pace for 90 wins. And, like, mm-hmm. I know it doesn't feel that way. And I know, like, then you're you're kind of analyzing it, like, week to week and, like, living the highs and lows of that. Like, take a step back. I mean, they are on pace for 90 wins. Yeah, baby. I mean, That's that right. Is, it, it, is, it is remarkable. And I think we do lose sight of that sometimes. And, you know, I had started thinking about magic numbers a couple days ago. And I was just curious. So I started calculating it, you know, mm-hmm. real quick just to see where it was. And it was over 20. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to say anything, you know, until it's under 20. And really... Like, it's still too early to be talking about that, but it's okay to have some fun because it's been so long since I've even thought about a magic number for (laughs) the Phillies. Right. And I'm wondering, like, I took some flack online. Like, I think I have the wrong number, but I was always taught. So I believe it was 19 uh, after yesterday's games. And I, uh, I was always taught the way you calculate a magic number was you take 163 minus Mm -hmm. The team's wins, the Phillies in this, in this case, so minus 78, minus the next closest team's losses, and that's 66 for Milwaukee. And that would give you 19 right now. Mm-hmm. But that was under the old system where, you know, a tie doesn't automatically get you in. Where, you know, right now a tie right. gets the Phillies in automatically. They have the head-to-head tiebreaker with the, the Brewers. The new rules with Major League Baseball tiebreakers are that the Phillies are in if they're tied with the Brewers this year. Yeah. Uh, so that... 
would seem to change my magic number formula now. Well, and, and that's where I come from. And in, in the lead up to actually recording this with there's, you know, if this recording ever sees the light of day in, in the Library of Congress, when we're eventually podcast famous, and all of our recordings get archived there, we were going through this and my method is a little bit different and a little more, more roundabout, but I think it eventually gets to the same place, but uh, with interesting results. So we have Milwaukee as uh, the team that would need to be eliminated for the Phillies to clinch a spot, right? We're, we're ruling San Francisco out, not, not thinking yeah. about them. So Milwaukee has played one more game than the Phillies have right now. They have 21 games left. The most wins they could possibly finish with as they sit at 75 and 66 is 96 wins. The Phillies then, because they own these tiebreakers, like we're talking about, would need 18 wins to get to 96. So they would need to go um, or they would need a combination of 18 wins uh, and Milwaukee losses, 18 to tie them. Milwaukee losses to tie them. But because we have the tiebreaker, they right. would get in. And so, <laughs> so I think it's 18. It, it would have to be 18 then. Right. But it, it's interesting that the system that you're talking about has it's been in the back of my mind, too. I've never really been big into calculating magic numbers on the fly, really, and haven't had an opportunity in the last 10 years, really. Uh, so it's been sort of a roundabout kind of hacky math way to think about like, okay, what, what do they really need? It hasn't been this serious in mid-September in a while, but I would have to think it would be 18 just because we have these, these tiebreak scenarios now where they don't actually play another game. And I, it's funny, I was thinking through it, like the 163 that you start with, maybe that just needs to get adjusted to 162 to shave that one game off that that possibility of an extra game. You know what? Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but I, mean, I get it. Like, the way I was always taught to yeah. calculate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. That, but that would be right in the old system where if you yeah. were trying to avoid a tie, which would then have to be right. figured out a different way, then you'd, right. yeah, you'd add an extra game. So in this case, when you're calculating the Brewers' magic number, you need – well, I mean, they're not, they don't have a magic number. But for the teams that don't have tiebreakers, you need the 163. Yes. Right. And the Phillies, so they have the tiebreaker, yeah. Okay. Right. Math. Just way of changing, changing how you think about it. But I love, love I mean, crazy that you know we're we're at that point where the Phillies are now eighteen. Magic number to clinch a postseason spot is eighteen. Uh, they still have uh, seven games remaining against the the Nationals and the Marlins. And and you're right. I mean, they were three outs away from a six and a homestand. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. terrific homestand for them. It was great. And, it was great. And I know it wasn't pretty. Uh, certainly, Sunday was not pretty. Uh, but you know, like good teams win games like Sunday. Like, I, I mean, they, they, they made, I think they made poor pitching decisions. Like Nola should not have started the game. Mm. Uh, I understand why they did it. I know that the rain, you know, is impossible to predict. They knew it was going to rain. They thought they were going to be able to play through. Uh, they couldn't. And, you know, they, it, it could have backfired big time on them. And uh, it didn't, you know, they still won the game and they went five and one in the homestand. And it was a, it was a, a, a really good homestand for them because they, they come out of it feeling, much better than he did a week ago. Dominguez is back. Wheeler is going to throw a bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Castellanos is swinging a bat. There we go. Uh, you know, things things are all all these things are turning in the right direction. The only guy I think you know you could be concerned about after this last week is probably Dave Robertson, uh, who who yes. looked better Sunday. Threw a lot of uh, breaking balls. Uh, Sunday. He did look not, better not though. A lot of You're cutters. right. Yeah. He was better, but it, not a lot of cutters. Um, it was just, you know, and they were going to, if they're going to swing and miss at every curveball he throws, then, you know, throw the curveball. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's sure. essentially what he did. He struck yeah. up the side. Uh, he's the one guy I think you'd be a little concerned about after this week. Other than that, though, I mean, everyone had a pretty good week outside of like Kyle Schwarber, maybe. I don't know. Schwarber, not really sure. Like, they're not going to take him out of the leadoff spot. Like, that's, that's pretty much where he'll be. Um, Segura didn't have a great week, but. I don't know. Now you're just nitpicking. I mean, because everyone else, Reese Hoskins had a big week. Uh, Bryce at home run, like you're feeling a little better about him. Uh, Brandon Marsh, I thought had a, had a really solid week. And there's Nick Maton, Ed, Edmundo Sosa and JT is doing JT things. And Alec Bohm is, you know, hitting for a little more power of late. I mean, everything is trending in the right direction. Um, Connor Brogdon, I'll throw him on the, to be concerned list, but I think we've yeah, it, that way for a little bit. And Brad hand. Right. Yep. Yep. The, the concerns now are, are back in the bullpen, which is a little bit unfortunate with how good it was looking in the middle of the summer. But I guess that's, you know, that that's sort of to be expected. It's sort of endemic with this team that there's going to be some middle 
or back end of the bullpen concern. I just, I, I get it. Like the Robertson thing, I definitely agree with Brogdon. Okay. For sure. But there's a, a little bit less riding on him anyway. And Brad hand is, you know, if he's seeing innings in the playoff game, things probably aren't going too well or they're going very well. But I look at David Robertson and I am, I'm not a field manager. I don't know how many times I can say that, but I looked at him getting back on the mound two days after that San Francisco game. And just, it, it felt like it was so soon for how hard, he had to it was, work. It was a little desperate. I yeah. Thought. And that that's all right. I mean, like, I think urgency is is good. And, like, I think Joe Girardi was dinged for that, right? I mean, because sure. people were upset that he had these rigid rules about how he used his relievers and yep, he didn't react right. to, you know, the, the, the time and, and situation and circumstance. And I think in that instance on Tuesday, Rob Thompson last Tuesday was like, we, we really need to win this game. Mm. Uh and he wasn't wrong about that. No. So, um, you know, he, he kind of leaned on Robertson uh, a, a little more than he should have. And I think, you know, he's 37. I think he's got some limits. I think we have discovered those limits. And uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to... I, 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 my thoughts about the bullpen right now is that the, where it looks like on September 12th today, it, it's going to look quite different by October 4th, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's fair. I mean, and not different in terms of personnel, but in t- different in terms of who's being used, where, right. Who you're trusting, you know, in the playoffs, you're, 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 especially three game series, you're looking to use eight pitchers. Mm, yeah, that probably feels about right. If you're thinking you have three different starters and you hopefully have to use seven pitchers. Four relievers a game, not different relievers, but just four relievers a game, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You don't have to carry that many. You certainly don't have to carry as many as you would for a seven game series. That's obvious, I think. Um, but the I usage big... thing, the usage thing is more interesting to me, honestly, because especially with guys getting healthy and that crunch on starting spots, you figure, of course, that Nolan and Wheeler are going to take two of those when they're healthy. And we've thought about this before, but now with Zach Eflin coming back and it being stated straight away that he's working smaller workloads, I don't think that precludes him from starting a game, maybe doing what the Brewers did a couple of years ago, like the uh, Wade Miley. I think when he started, he only faced a couple of batters and then they, they just kind of did a weird thing. Obviously you can't go that extreme anymore, but I, I, I think the third starter situation is still about as fluid as it gets. It totally depends team. on who they're facing. Mm-hmm. Totally depends on who they're facing. If they're facing the Braves, like I think Eflin's going to open on Friday night mm. against the Braves. Even though Ranger Suarez's last start was 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 solid, was really, was you know was good, encouraging. Yeah, you know they pushed him. He got over 100 pitches for the first time in almost two months. Uh, you know he didn't see the command just disappear like it has in the middle of the starts. Like it, it was solid. Yeah, really it was there solid. on Saturday. He looked good. And uh, but the Braves, though, you know they're top three hitters in their lineup. I mean, when you're looking at it, they're not going to change their lineup if you have an opener, but their top three guys are Acuna, Swanson, and Riley. And those three really good right-handed hitters. Mm. And I think it's a great spot for Eflin to open uh, ahead of Suarez and just maybe face three batters. Maybe he faces six batters because you have Olsen in the middle there, the lefty batting cleanup. And after that, it's usually a bunch of righties. Uh, I, I think it's a good spot for Eflin on on. On Friday, honestly, Eflin might open tomorrow night. Uh, I'm, I don't know their plans. I, on Tuesday against yeah, the Marlins? against the Marlins with uh, with Falter on the mound. A hmm. uh, couple righty hitters usually at the top of the Marlins lineup, Birdie okay. and Anderson. Uh, Cooper's usually up there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they're going to do that right away. Eflin hasn't pitched since Friday, so uh, he's fresh. Um, and I don't think they would want him to go from Friday to Friday without throwing uh, in a game. Uh, so he, he maybe he opens, but either way, he'll get in. You know, I think he's going to get into Tuesday's game uh, somehow, whether it's after Falter or before Falter. Um, okay. Talk about getting Zach thrown Eflin, right into the fire. Yeah, I mean, Zach Eflin, reliever, I have no idea what it's going to be like. I have no idea. They don't either. They have no idea. Um, they don't know what role he's going to fill. They don't know how he's going to do this. They don't know how his body's going to respond. They have no idea. Um, but you know what? <laughs> it sounds like, fun. No, but I mean, like, it, it's, it. yeah, exactly. You know, this is this is house money, I think, because you're yeah, you not expecting to get him back, and he is so respected and well liked in that clubhouse. I can't, 
uh, tell you how much he's respected in there. I mean, he really, he really is. Cause he's, you know, guys have seen how he's worked behind the scenes and, and I think they feel for him. You know, this has been a tough year and he's lost a lot of money. Sure. Uh, but he's, he's a really good teammate. Uh, he's always been. And, you know, Zach and I have always talked about some of the, for lack of a better word, some of the shit that he's seen here. Mm. You know, I mean, this guy has been here for a long time. Yes, he, he has. He's seen some things. And he's been on some bad teams. And I think it's cool that uh, whatever role he fills, uh, he, you know, he's going to get a chance to to get these guys across the that kind of that, that finish line. And uh, I don't know kind of curious to see what it is i mean maybe maybe they end up going to making him a one inning max you know one inning max effort guy and uh you know he becomes a really solid middle reliever for them or maybe even a setup guy i don't know um he's you know i think the idea he likes the idea of just kind of uh you know letting it fly for an inning um you know because as a starter he would he would conserve things and try to you know hold back and pitch six innings uh i don't know you know, sinkers are cool again, right? And he throws a well, damn yeah. good sinker. He does. He does. And he's got decent off-speed stuff to complement it. Like, I I don't know either. I don't really have a concept of what I think a max effort Zach Eflin would look like. I agree with you. I'm, I'm not really sure. I think the closest we've seen might be from the pandemic season a couple years ago where, you know, he had shorter outings. Maybe that was just by design because everybody was a little bit off and things were very strange. But it, you know, the strikeouts went way up. Homers didn't go anywhere, but he was able to put more guys away. I, It's hard to really draw anything from 2020 on any side of the ball there, but maybe that's the closest example we have. I don't know if maybe he's going to try and find an extra tick on his fastball with the shorter outings. I don't know if that's smart given his injuries. I don't know. That's like biomechanical stuff that I probably can't really get into or think about, but it is tantalizing to think about. Especially because they have a need. Yes, they, they have, have a need. A, they have a need. You know, Brogdon and Coonrod are just kind of like, you know, there. Like, they haven't, neither one has, like, necessarily stepped up. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're looking for a righty behind D- Dominguez and Robertson, right? You're mm-hmm. looking for that third righty. And right now... Uh, right now it's Bilotti. Probably Bilotti, yeah. Probably. Which is which is fine, but, like, I, like I, I keep... I keep thinking like it's a Cinderella situation with him. Like, is it too good to be true that they've really found this guy who's going to be good all year? <laughs> like, I, I'm a little, I'm a little leery of that. Um, all right. Well, this yes, is, this I, would is, say I want to do right this now. exercise. Let's like, okay. let's do this exercise. I want okay. us to draft a, a playoff pitching staff okay. with the caveat that I, I think they'll take 13 there. The max is 13. They go back to 26 man rosters and the, but the roster rules still apply in the playoffs. You can only have uh, no more than 13 pitchers. Now, in a three-game series, do you carry 13? Probably only because they don't need 14 position players. Right. Um, you know, because they don't they don't do a lot of pinch hitting. Uh, There's not a lot of guys in this lineup that you're saying, I need to pinch hit for this guy, even if it's a matchup thing. You're probably not pinch hitting for uh, anyone except for the center fielder, right? Maybe the shortstop. I doubt it, though. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so... Let's draft a pitching staff at 13 pitchers right now, where we are on September 12th, also with the knowledge that postseason baseball is very different than regular season mm-hmm. baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about a scenario in which we only really, in a best case scenario, the Phillies are only using like eight of their pitchers. You know, maybe yes. more if they're in a blowout, a blowout win or a blowout loss, which you don't want. But right. uh, in an ideal world, in a competitive three-game series, you're thinking they're trying to use eight guys. And, and that does, there's other questions involved here. It's like, how many of those guys, how many of those relievers can pitch Three three days in a row, uh, great question. I mean, we don't really know because they. I mean, that was against the rules up until now. <laughs> well, it's kind of been Rob Thompson's rule too. He really won't use three mm-hmm. guys three days in a row. He really, I don't think he has. Maybe once or twice. Maybe, maybe not. Um. So, go ahead, Paul. First pick. Okay, I start with a question: Are we assuming health for both yes. Eflin and Wheeler? Assuming everyone is healthy. Okay. Okay. Uh, then my first pick would be Wheeler. Okay, I mean, I think it, I think it's just obvious. Like Nola is to this point now having the better season, but something about Zach Wheeler in a playoff game, maybe it's the September stuff that scarred me a little bit still, even though Nola is shaking that off a bit. Maybe I'm being unfair to Nola. I still feel like Wheeler is the pull for the first game. Yeah. Okay. Then I, I want Nola's game two. There we now go. You All get right. to pick game three. Okay. And let's say, let's say, okay, let, you can p- play around here. Like, who do you think, like, if you, you can do this scenario in which, and you're coming up with a uh, an opponent too. Like you can decide 
who you think they're likeliest to play. Okay. And that will affect who starts game three for you. Okay. Yeah. I go back and forth on the division thing. I, the Braves always have that mystical, you know, like invincibility power up that they get at some point that just makes it seem like they're never going to lose and that it's actually somehow going to fall into their laps at the end of the year. But also the Mets are a good baseball team. I'm wondering, I'm worrying a little bit about Max Scherzer. I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if that's similar to what Wheeler's going through right now, or they're just sort of resting him for the stretch run. But anyway, some of, your, some of your equation though here has to factor in the Padres also. Like, do you think, do you think the Phillies, you know, the Padres have been, you know, just kind of so, so here. Like, do you think they, uh, you, think they the Phillies are the, you think the Phillies are firmly the five? Well, I'm, 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 I'm putting you on the yeah, spot here. I don't yeah, know. No, just, you are, just, you are, you are. Um, you know, I'll, I'll stick with the thought that the Phillies could be the five just because yeah, they, they do on pace for the 90 wins that you're talking about. They only need to go 12 and 10. Yep. And they're already, you know, they're, they're, they're good. They're in a good spot for that. It, it's not an iron clap, but they're in a good spot for that. So I'll stick with that. I'll stick with the, the NL wildcard situation where they get one of Atlanta or the Mets. Okay. So we have Nola, we have Wheeler. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think I would want to go opener for game three. Although I do get the appeal of the Atlanta situation that you were talking about with Eflin for the top of their order. I, I get that. It's also kind of against my principles to suggest an opener just from an aesthetic perspective. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I mean, I in a game like three, it. you know, like a do or I die know. game three, like you pretty much, everything's on the table. Everything's Even if on the table. you had a starter you like, yes. he might only be going twice through an order. That's right. That That is correct. I, I think given all of that, I would still, I would pick Ranger right now with a yeah. quick hook. So I, yeah. I'd go Ranger for game three. Okay. So then I, I'm going, uh, I'll take Dominguez here. Yes. You, ha- you have four. to have him as the top relief pick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no, some of these we don't even need to discuss, but we're yes. just, we're, we're so just go ahead. Stating yeah. them. So then of course you'd have David Robertson, okay, as, Robertson. as your number two. in the Then I'll go with ball. Alvarado. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alvarado for sure. Who is still not getting, uh, yeah, again, I think Alvarado and hand have sort of been used interchangeably by Thompson, mm-hmm. um, which has surprised me, I think. Uh, because I think Alvarado, he, he is, yeah, he's getting bigger spots. I, I think he will get much bigger spots in hand down the stretch. He should. Um, or as we get, you know, especially into the playoffs. Um, that's not to say that I don't think hand is on the roster. We'll get to him, but it, you know, Alvarado and hand have been used interchangeably. I think that changes as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. That makes sense. Um, and I would actually, I, I would go back for a little bit of length. And at this point, I would think I would pick Eflin ahead yep. of Bilotti a, a bit for that, that Cinderella thing we were talking about. Although Eflin is not without his own, you know, are things going to come apart? I just sure. feel like at this point we need to, we need to add that bit of length back to the bullpen just in case, you know, something goes wrong or Suarez does need to have that quick hook in game three. Yep. All right. So then I take Bilotti. So now we're up to... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Those are our eight guys right there. So if those eight guys are the only eight guys to appear in the series, the Phillies I'm feeling probably good. win the series. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling yeah. good with that group. I, I think I think if you if you avoid Brad Hand, you avoid Sam Coonrod, and you know, hopefully Connor Brogdon is throwing better by that point. But if you avoid him too, yes, I, I think you're in a good spot. I, I think that's that's a nice set of eight pitchers. So again, just, just to review, we have Nola Wheeler and Suarez as your quote unquote starters with Zach Eflin lurking as the bulk or long relief guy, Sir Anthony Dominguez, David Robertson, Jose Alvarado, Andrew Bellotti. Now that is only one left-handed relief pitcher, mm-hmm. which, okay. You can think like if you're matching up against the Braves and you do have Matt Olson come up in a big spot or Robbie Grossman, or, you know, cause I think you want to, probably want to turn Grossman left side. I don't know. I would need to look that up. Anyway, if you only have one left-handed reliever in your pen and you spend him on two games and you're into game three, you know, then, then things get a little iffy, but also it's not as if you can say necessarily that you'd feel worse about say Robertson or Dominguez going up against a left-handed hitter than you would Brad hand at this point, because just because he's throwing left-handed, doesn't necessarily mean he's the better matchup there. Okay, now this gets us to a really interesting decision point, I think, here. 
because you have to think about different guys. So first of all, we're talking about lefties. So we talk about Connor Brogdon, who mm-hmm. is right-handed, but his numbers against lefties are, are pretty solid this year. The 621 OPS against, uh, you know, only one home run, mm-hmm. uh, good strikeout to walk. But I'm asking you, Paul, like, how do you look at Bailey Falter here? I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't look at him as a, a real viable option ahead of any of the guys we're talking about right now. Because I I can't say I'm past the point with Falter where I think he is as effective as he is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get the appeal of him with, you know, how, how great of an extension he gets. And it's why his, you know, 92 mile an hour fastball plays up. He releases the ball so close to the plate that it catches up on guys so fast. And I get that that's an advantage. That that is a, that is a physical advantage that could help him be a successful major league pitcher. It's not always there in his outings right now, and I can't I can't trust that in a playoff setting yet. I would need to see it a little bit more consistently for a little while. Even though he's been on a better run lately, could he change my mind if that continues through the rest of his outings this year? Maybe we're running a little short on runway for that, but I I, I could get the argument at that point. That would say, okay, he's throwing the ball as good as he may ever throw it. Maybe you could think that way. I don't know. He's throwing the ball great right now. Ride the hot hand. Okay. I'd understand that. If he's your ninth guy in that pitching staff, okay. I can live with that ahead of Connor Brogdon. So what you're telling me is you want Brogdon here? I like Brogdon's stuff more. I, I have always yeah. liked I mean, Brogdon's the change-up change is just one of the love, best pitches in their bullpen the right up. now. Yes, yes. It's just I that lo- he's got nothing have. else. <laughs> right, and and that's the problem, right? When when his fastball's right, he's hitting 96, sure, but the command can leave him. When he started, when he first came up, you know, I looked at the pitch just from an appearance, just just the beauty of that pitch, the Brogdon changeup when he was throwing it right. I'm like, man, that's that's as good as Nola's changeup. That thing great just pitch. darts. That thing looks yeah. awesome. The things like Ryan Madsen level change up. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, that's really good. And I got the appeal. I could see it watching it through my screen. I don't get that sort of thing with Bailey Falter because his stuff relies on a, a little more trickery, a little more deception, a little more physical characteristic than just the shape and movement of his stuff. And, and I think and if Brogdon is throwing best, advantage for Brogdon, yes. his changeup against left-handed batters is, is quite good. Right. It's and, really and, good. And that's another thing, right? You're not just going to, you don't just want to put a guy on there because the handedness matches up. You actually have to trust that the stuff and the repertoire and what you're going to offer against these hitters will have the more favorable matchup. You know what I mean? And in this case, I would trust Brogdon's changeup again, when he's throwing it right more than falters, breaking stuff or his fastball against a similar handed pitcher. That's just the way I see it. Brogdon's changeup against lefties this year. Uh, they have a 205 batting average and a 256 slug. There you go. See, now, and, and that's in a down year. Hit the other pitches at 300. Sure. With, you know, yeah. Sure. And that's the thing. Like, you can't, you can't triple and quadruple up on changeups in the playoffs to these guys because they're probably going to sit on it anyway. You have to, you have to work it in there and change eye levels, which goes back to the fastball. So he needs to get the fastball right. And that's fine. He, he, we have a little bit of time left. We have time yep. for him to get right. Um, but okay, yeah, so I, Brogdon's I, 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 the ninth would, guy. I would lean Brogdon for the ninth. Yep. Okay. Well, not, not the ninth inning, the ninth spot. Yeah. All right. So then I'm taking hand for my 10th guy. Sure. Sure. To give me some coverage in the middle. Sure. I get, um, I, you know, I mm. think you worry, you got to worry because like, I feel I like they like Brad hand. <laughs> they do. No, they do. You can tell <laughs> and, they do. And no offense to Brad hand who has made it work. He's kept the ball in the ballpark. Yep, which is why the numbers look the way they do. But man, I don't know. The stuff is just not obviously what it once was when he was, you know, one of the dominant left-handed relievers in the sport. Right. And that's okay because he's not, he's not that dominant guy anymore, but I mean, you gotta, I, I think they can see through kind of the numbers and see him for what he is right now. And that doesn't mean that like, maybe if you get in the fifth or sixth inning and you need, you, know, you got a patch of lefties two maybe two lefty hitters out of three, or maybe to finish an inning, you know, maybe there's guys on base and you're like, there's a lefty coming up and like, here we go. Like, this is why we have Brad Hand to get this one batter out. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Anything beyond that, I, I, I think it would be really misusing him. Yeah, and I wouldn't I wouldn't feel great at that point. I think I think I think now because we're at uh, we're, 10. We just picked the All right. So we're, we're at number 10. Or you picked 10? I've already lost I count. I picked the 10th. You picked the 10th. I'm trying to write it down. And I'm failing. I'm doing great. I think we actually have an interesting 
thought here, and it's good that we're having it this deep into the roster, about whether you take Nick Nelson or Sam Coonrod first here with this next pick. Or Kyle Gibson. No. No. I no, not in <laughs> not in a three game series. No, because I think he'll be on the roster just yeah. in case and, of like the worst case scenario, like a pitcher yes. gets a line drive in the first inning off of his arm or his whatever or, or a pitcher rolls his ankle running to first base covering the bag like gibson He's gets all the time he needs guy. to warm up right you know yeah worst so case like, scenario you bring him because there's 13 you know we'll get I'm, there but yeah. i'm not thinking about him here i'm thinking about the guy who might have to come in in the fourth or fifth inning in you know maybe a slightly lopsided way but trying to keep right it close so nelson or, or coonrod and i think ideally they wanted mcgarry to enter this conversation too for this spot the later it gets into the year without him making a debut, the the less confident I feel about him. But anyway, I would I would actually lean Nick Nelson here. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I, you know, you don't trust him for more than, you know, if he's throwing two innings, you know, something has gone weird. But he's another one of those guys who's, again, he's only let up one home run in 60 innings. And that really? counts for, that counts for, yeah, one home run, 62 and a third uh-huh. innings. And there are other things about his stuff. Like he's coming in in mostly low leverage spots and he's just, God, he's got 11 wild pitches. <laughs> exactly. Like he's, he's got warts. He, he's got that. warts. He's got a, more than a quarter of the entire staff's wild pitches. <laughs> but if we're talking about a guy like he, he's got the fastball. He's been keeping the ball in the park, which, okay. I'll buy into it's good that slider. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Okay. I would make him the 11th uh, pick here. Again, we're not talking about guys who are pitching meaningful innings at this point. But I would trust him somewhat to pick up a few outs if we needed to lean on him to to do something, some kind of playoff version of mop up. So I'd pick him 11th. All right. Nelson goes 11th. It's getting hard now. Well, not really. I, I feel like you've got the pick. Yeah, Coonrod. Yeah. Well, yeah. You bring Coonrod. Coonrod, the, the, the okay. cutter is interesting. Uh, he, he's not throwing a slider anymore. He's throwing a cutter cause it was hurting his arm. Um, mm. kind of want to see him in bigger, bigger spots the next few weeks. Like I, I, and I know I'm not saying these games don't matter this week. Obviously they do, but sure. they're not living and dying with every pitch and every night and every game. Uh, and it does give you a little bit of leash to see like, Hey, let's see what Cam- Sam Coonrod does in the eighth inning against, you know, three really good right-handed batters. I think now as we go to the very last spot and, and it will, it will be Kyle Gibson. If this was, you know, in reality, like Kyle Gibson will have a spot on the roster, but I look at the composition. I think about the fact that we have based on who we've picked Zach Eflin and Nick Nelson on this team, potential bulk guys. That's two. Oh God, I know potential bulk guys. Yeah. yeah. What about, what about Vinny Natoli? Vinny Natoli. Because it's not going to be Noah Syndergaard. I don't, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him right now. He's a guy who's Cinder- just going to get you through the rest of the regular season. Yes. But if you're thinking upside play, if you're thinking, hmm, interesting. Griff McGarry isn't ready. Not really super high on, well, Mark Appel's not going to pitch the rest of the season. Um, the other options that they've thrown up there, you know, Tyler Sears off the roster, but like the Nick Duran, Bob, Bob Rossman. Chris Sanchez, Chris Sanchez, I don't know. I don't know what Chris Sanchez is. And I don't know at this point, if we're thinking about just attaching something to this roster, if you like what you see with that sweeper that Natoli has thrown more than what Sanchez gives you because Sanchez's command can kind of leave you and he's not really punching out a bunch of guys when he's in on fairness, anyway they have like really and not... they've jerked him around yeah. i know I mean, he, he pitched for the first time in nine days like he's gonna go back they sent him out after the game he's gonna go triple a i think he's gonna go start at triple a i think um that's what i was told although i know that they like him more i think as a reliever as like a more traditional reliever not not like a long man i think they actually like him as like a middle reliever um but i think that's like for next year yeah i mean i think in the end conventional wisdom says that you trust the devil you know a little bit more than the devil you don't and that if it came to it chris sanchez probably gets that last spot ahead of somebody like vinnie natoli or yeah anybody else you could drum up at the bottom but of it, the it's gibson man. so 13 is gibson right. so we have our staff right. but yes they sent they sent natoli out uh 
for Dominguez and totally will go to AAA. I think the thing that they were not so thrilled about, at least the coaching staff wasn't thrilled about, is that Natoli never pitched like back-to-back days in the minor leagues this year, apparently, um, or or did it very like maybe once or twice. Okay, uh, and that was you know he wasn't with the Phillies system, obviously, right? Uh, and and they the Phillies before they call up relievers or you know somebody new, they like to see they want to make sure the guy can go back-to-back days. Right, they want him to do you know four outs maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of check off a lot of these different boxes in, in Rob Thompson's parlance. I'm looking at it right now, and they totally never pitched on back-to-back days this year. Interesting. Um, you know, and that, I think, uh, bothered the coaching staff because they liked the guy, but they weren't sure, like, really how they how they could use him. And, hmm. uh, you know, in a three-game series, you know, you're not you, – you, if they're using Benina Tolley in two, two, two back-to-back <laughs> games, and, like, this this conversation's over. It doesn't even matter. I, but I just I, – I love picturing the messes that would have to come up for some of these guys <laughs> to be used like we're talking about. Yeah. But I think, you know, to, to circle back, like we get to that eight, the seventh and eighth spots. And right now, the seventh spot on our postseason pitching staff is a guy who hasn't pitched since late June. Um, yeah. We have no idea what he is. Yeah. And the eighth spot is a, a guy who's came on a minor league contract who has shown flashes of, of really getting big outs for them, like coming into extra inning games with guys on base and, mm-hmm. and getting out of it. Um, but also a guy who we've seen is is has a tendency to give up home runs. Yes. Uh, a guy who's if his if his slider, which he's throwing like you know like sixty five percent of the time, if he's not landing a couple of them for strikes, very vulnerable. Yes. Um. So you know, the seventh and eighth spots on the on the playoff pitching staff are are important, especially when we're talking about three games in three days. Like you're yes. not going to be able to get through the series using just five or six guys. You're going to have to need outs from those seven, eight guys, especially in the games two or three. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, Paul. I mean, like that, those are the two spots right now where you really got to kind of just close your eyes and just believe, I guess. I don't know. Well, there's, there's going to be a lot of that anyway. I feel like even with some of the guys we're more confident about, uh, there's going to be a lot of peeking through, you know, hands over the eyes just because there's been times, you know, I hate to keep doing this to Alvarado, but as good as <laughs> he's been, you're not gonna believe it, right? You're not I, yeah, like it, it, you... it's tough. Like I keep when he was at his most crazy and most erratic pre-demotion, when you, we were still like, "Where is this ball going to go?" Every single time he got ready to pitch, I would flash myself forward and allow myself to think about what it would be like watching this guy in a playoff series. What it would be like watching that stuff as absolutely electric as it is, but the way his command was earlier in the summer, which it had been the first year and a half he was with this team and thinking about putting a playoff appearance on the line for that. And the amount of gray hair I would immediately produce. (laughs) It just, it, it, it made me nervous. Now what he's done lately, I'll say it again. I've been saying it for weeks. I've come around on the guy. It's been so much better. He's been great. There is a little bit from earlier in the season that is going to stick in the back of my mind the first time he takes the mound in a playoff game. It's just going to be there. I'm going to be a little bit worried. And that's pretty high up on this bullpen depth chart. There's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of wincing, a lot of, you know, is Robertson still, you know, feeling good? Is Sir Anthony still at 100% health? And will he keep his, his you know, command in line? It's, Wheeler. <laughs> Wheel, yeah, Wheeler especially. Like Suarez. Yeah, There's I mean, going to be a, a lot of... And and that's why, right, in the next few weeks, you know, in in four weeks, this is going to look and feel different. We don't know how, who will Mm -hmm. rise and fall in the next four weeks, but it will look and feel different. And I think that's why this exercise was fun because, um, you know, I think we've identified like eight solid options for them right now. But, you know, who the hell knows in four weeks? I I will say it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. There, there think are about how they've upsides. ended seasons in previous years. Mm-hmm. Freaking, you know, Hans Kraus was making big starts to them at the end of the year last year. And, mm-hmm. and Chris Sanchez. And, you know, think about all the guys that Nick Vincent running out there to try to get big outs yes. in September for them. And, and you know, it, it's better. Like, I think it's clearly better. Um, and you're looking for some guys to step up here in the next four weeks to sort of solidify their, their position. I mean, Connor Brogdon can really pitch his way into a big role. I mean, right now don't know just looks a little shaky well speaking of depth and speaking of uh ninth guys on the roster an interesting thing has been happening especially lately it's been very noticeable but really all season at this point the 
Ninth spot in the batting order, formerly occupied uh, on most days by the starting pitcher or pitcher spot, is suddenly turning into a fountain of production for <laughs> this Phillies team. Uh, especially in the last week, we've seen Edmundo Sosa, Nick Maton, and even Dalton Guthrie come up with a few hits and some big RBIs while batting out of the ninth spot. And in looking at the season totals, um, as we did uh, prior to hitting record here, the ninth spot in the batting order has a 307 combined on base percentage. The first spot in the Phillies batting order has a 295 combined <laughs> on base percentage. And now obviously we're we're you know throwing home runs into the mix and so the OPS levels out but it's still not as far as far away as you think. Uh the ninth spot has become something of a magic elixir for some guys, not everybody. But you look at Garrett Stubbs with an OPS over 1000 on the year in 39 plate appearances from the ninth spot. Nick Maton, OPS over 1200. Edmundo Sosa, OPS over 1,500, with now 23 plate appearances in the ninth spot. And lately, these guys have just been hitting the crap out of the ball. Even Brandon Marsh has a 793 OPS from that spot. He doesn't have a walk yet, so it's all slugging. But still, there's production happening there. You know, there's some guys who've also struggled, but it's really lately been a way to somehow get some guys right. I... I'm asking this just bluntly, not literally asking if this is true, but is there something to the nine spot helping some of these guys get back on their game a little bit here? I don't know. I think more of anything, Paul, it speaks to the better depth they've accumulated. I mean, yeah. Some of the guys you were just you know, rattling off there are, are not everyday guys who uh, have really contributed for them. And, and you think about this last week, this homestand we were talking about, you know, five and one, mm -hmm. they got contributions from guys that, um, are on the fringes of the roster. I mean, Nick Nelson got a save, and I know that was kind of desperate times, but he got a save. And sure, you know, Edmundo Sosa had a big week, and Nick Maton had some big hits for them. And I think you look at this, and and it again speaks to just the fact that they have a better overall roster, one through twenty six, and now I know it's twenty eight guys right now um, than right. than they've had since twenty eleven. And you know, Dalton Guthrie got two big hits for them. <laughs> earlier this week in, in, in a close game uh, that, that scored runs. And so, uh, you know, a guy who was totally not even on the radar remotely uh, when the season began, wasn't even right. a big league camp. Nope. So it's just been better depth. And, and a lot of times those depth guys are the guys batting ninth or eighth in, in the batting order. And, uh, you know, they've really stepped up. I mean, uh, Yaro Munoz, you know, I know he faded a little bit, but he gave them some, some, some contribution as a, as a depth piece. And so, you know, Derek Hall, we, we haven't even talked about Derek for a while now. I think I do think there's a chance he comes back before the month ends um, as yeah. a bench bat. He's sort of turned it on of late AAA. But uh -huh. these contributions from these these depth pieces, um, you know, re really have really helped this team get on that 90 win pace. And I think those numbers you see in the nine hole are, are a result of that. And they can go into the nine spot and not feel like they have to um, – you know, be huge contributors. I mean, whatever they get from that nine spot is a bonus. And whatever they get from that guy who might be in the lineup that day, who's not necessarily regular, but he's hitting ninth. Um, it's a bonus. There's not a lot of pressure on that guy. And that speaks to a different kind of atmosphere. I think that's been, you know, started from the manager's office into the clubhouse, you know, you know, beginning in early June. And that believe it or not, is a story I'll be writing about this week at the athletic. Oh, go figure. Nice little tease. Now, going back to Schwarber and that, that top spot thing, I, I think it really, really helps mask what's actually happening with totally the leadoff does. spot. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have guys at the very bottom of the order who are on for Schwarber to then come up and hit home run, which is mostly what he's been doing as a leadoff hitter. He's not, he's not really a leadoff hitter. He's not, you know, if, if he's, if he's somebody who's only going to put up marginally better on base percentages than some of the guys who preceded him, then he's a little bit miscast, maybe a little bit more than a little bit miscast. Um, he's putting up, you know, clean up or number five hitters in a good lineup from the number one spot. If It's just, it's a little strange. I get that there is a comfort aspect to it. Probably not going to get moved from leadoff spot if he's healthy. That's just where he's going to hit. And it's going to have to be that way for the playoff games. Okay, fine. But it then becomes a big deal if guys at the bottom half of the lineup 
are getting on the way they're doing or producing the way they're doing, because then it could also set the table for Schwarber where he doesn't really have to be a leadoff hitter except for the first appearance of the game. Uh, that's a yeah. nice unintended consequence, if nothing else. You know, the adage is, Paul, is like, you want to get your best players the most played appearances. Is Schwarber one of their best hitters right now? I, I don't know. Yes, yes and no. Their fourth best hitter? Like, right now, it's probably Real Muto, Hoskins, Harper, Bohm, yeah. Schwarber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe you lean Schwarber over Bohm for the extra power. I think, I think the gory math folks say that there's more of a correlation between slugging and run scored than on base percentage and run scored lately. But that's right. neither here nor there. I mean, that's sort of that's cutting that's slicing hairs at that point. Uh, Schwarber likes to lead off. You know, mm-hmm. we've asked Rob Thompson about this a bunch, and I think they're going to defer to Schwarber there. If they were to make a move, it's it's either Bohm or Stott at the top. I think. Um, you know, Bohm has a very unusual profile right now, right? I mean, he's very a batting average dependent hitter. Yes, uh, and he's hitting for a good average. So yes, he is. Uh, he's hitting for a little more power, but. Uh, he's not also not the traditional profile of a leadoff hitter, right? No. Uh, he's not the kind of guy who's going to draw a lot of walks. He doesn't typically see a ton of pitches, um, but he, he's been making a lot of contact. And, uh, you know, that, that would, that would make him uh, an interesting leadoff guy. He's now moved down to five because they have Harper back batting third, JT's batting fourth, Bohm, you know, batting fifth, uh, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad spot, you know, because no. if you're looking for a guy to put the ball in play with, you know, possibly, you know, your four best hitters, some of them on base ahead of him uh, makes sense. So I'm all right with the, the current construction as it is. I, I know there's going to be some hand wringing about it because Schwarber is not at all the quintessential leadoff type. Uh, you know what? I mean, this is, you know, dance with what brought you here. Bro- <laughs> I, mean, I, think, yeah. I, I, I think that's how they look at it right now. Yeah. And I, and I, I get that. I, I really do. Um, and it's not as if there are a ton of better options right now. Cause what would you do? What would you put Reese or JT up there? You would, I don't think you'd put Stott up there right now next year. Maybe that's a different question. And that's something that's probably, gonna I think I'd put revisited. Stott up there right now. You put Stott up there right now. Yeah. See, I, yeah. I'd be fine with that. If we're not talking about, you know, the, the intangibles of comfort and, and, and all those other things. And just like, you're talking about, going in you know dance with who brought you whatever metaphors we're trying to use here because it it has in its own way worked it has gotten this team here even though schwarber doesn't have that profile that that prototypical production where you're you know on base a little bit more than 31 percent of the time it's worked it's worked in its own weird way it's it's working present tense i i don't know if a move right now is the right move for a couple of reasons, not just for possibly upsetting some chemistry or whatever, but if it would work, I don't know if it would work. You're at the point where you're kind of, you're married to this, uh, this lineup. And guess what? They have scored uh, the fifth most runs in the national league. Right. Right. That's what I'm talking about. They have about the fifth best record in the national league. I mean, they are, that's what they are. I mean, they have the sixth best ERA, the fifth best, run scored, you know, uh, fourth best slugging, fourth best OPS, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they're, they are, mm-hmm. you know, they're very much a reflection of their, their individual parts are a reflection of their record. I mean, it, we, how many times in the past few years have we talked about that the sum of the Phillies roster is, isn't as good as its parts? Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we are in a very different situation, I think right now. We absolutely are for sure. I mean, the, the whole thing with this team and why you could see how it could work in the previous couple seasons with a potential playoff run is yes, they were top heavy, but if you get that team into the playoffs, you feel like they could do a little bit of damage because mm-hmm. they are top heavy. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm not saying like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about the playoffs right now. There's still a lot to be decided, blah, 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 blah. But in some ways, when we have gone over this, because this team has top heavy players and now they have more of them than they have in years past, you got to feel good about, doing something once you get to the playoffs and rolling with the construction of the lineup that got you to this point that gives you this feeling it gives me this feeling i would i do it differently if i were the manager yeah i probably would but i also can't really stare this lineup in the face and say no you must be different for a lot of the reasons you were just talking about they're top third in runs scored which means they're playoff caliber to go along with that yes they're top third in era which 
you know, put that together. And all of a sudden, the, the sum is equal to the parts. So I can't, I can't say that it would just be nice to have, going back to the original point of this, this little mini segment, it would be nice to have the bottom of the order, whoever's batting there on a given day, hopefully somehow continue this hot streak of production so that it can be less of a problem that Schwarber would always be batting with the bases empty, I think is what it comes down to. Can I bring this full circle? Of course. The great Mike Lynch from Sports Reference, uh, the company that owns Baseball Reference, he's gotten back to me. He believes oh. that the Phillies' magic number is 18. 18! Okay, so it's it's the new world. It's the new world of no tiebreaker game 163s. So Support we just have Baseball to... Reference. They're great. Thank you. Oh, yes. Buy a play index subscription. It's the best money you'll ever spend. Um, okay, great. Magic number of 18. Again, just to hammer that point home, I know it sounds like a lot with only a few games left. 18 is the sum of Phillies wins and Brewers losses combined. So even if the Phillies lose on a given day, if Milwaukee loses two, that number goes down one. And it happens fast. If everything <laughs> continues to go well, that number will go down quickly. Now, of course, you know, 18, the earliest clinch that could happen if you want to start letting yourself think this way, which is okay by me. I'm all about I'm all about team optimism right now. It's mid to late next week. So no no champagne popping or anything like that uh, is on the immediate horizon. There is a small window for the Phillies to be able to clinch a spot against the Braves at home. A very yeah. small window. It's not out of the equation, but a lot would have to go right. They'll probably have their best chance to clinch on the road if they're going to do it. Um, but good. No, thank you. Thank you, Baseball Reference. Thank you, Mike Lynch. Thank you for bringing it full circle, Matt. Uh, I guess that's a good place to to hang on here. Is there anything else can't, we want to say before we wrap up for this week? Can't wait to see what, what we're feeling like in a week from now. You know, the recent trend is not not giving me good feelings for what next week us uh, is going to look like, but you know, at least there's only one brave series between now and then I only have to deal with three Atlanta games before the next recording. Uh, but that might not be so great. Anyway, it's the last time on the road. Last time we'll have to hear them do that stupid chant. Get him out. Although, of here. you know, I mean, no, no, don't sit. No, that's right. I forgot. No, I have to think that way though. You're right. I have to think about the playoffs. God, my, my brain always turns to, I, 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 you know, we talked about one last thing. We talked about how, it would almost be so fitting that um, October seventh is the I think is the date of the first uh, uh-huh. is the, of the day of the first playoff game, and that would be you know eleven years to the day uh, that they they played their last playoff game, and it was against the Cardinals. And you're like, oh, so they they almost have to face the Cardinals this year to vanquish you know those ghosts. Um, but I've thought more about it, and I think it would be really fun if they played the Mets or the Braves. Yes, it would be a ton of fun. It would be incredibly stressful, but man, that would be fun. It really would. There, there would have to be some kind of electricity in the air for those games, even if the Phillies don't have a home game for that series. Like that's mm-hmm. just mm, hard, hard to, hard to rule that out. Okay, that'll do it for this week. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, we're still in this good mood next week. Uh, cross your fingers. We'll see. For the Athletic Philadelphia's Mac Gallup, I'm Paul Boyer. See you around.